Welcome to Toxicology, brought to you by Recovery Unplugged, the place where we talk about all things substance abuse, recovery, and mental health, with guests offering varying perspectives and viewpoints. Hosts Joseph Gorordo and Jason Cabello share about their addiction and recovery and other serious subject matter through lighthearted yet candid conversation. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Toxicology, the latest and greatest mental health recovery and addiction podcast in the known universe. Yeah. I am your host, Joseph Gorordo, and the guy that just said, yeah, is uh, my co-host, Jason Cabello. Uh, Jason, how you doing? Good. Second podcast in a new format, second room. So we're going to try out a couple of different things. We're going to see what fits, what doesn't fit. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. We're a work in progress. I mean, I got to tell you that the the faux wood paneling. Don't give away Hollywood magic. I feel like it's on brand, you know. Uh, see, like, I. Like it's almost real nice, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, yeah, now, okay, I'm, 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 I'm for that. I, yeah. I get, I'm, we're on board. Well, I was. So I was talking to one of the the therapists at work today about this group I used to do where we would have the clients make stuff out of clay. And And we're talking about at Recovery Unplugged. Yeah, at Recovery Unplugged, title sponsor. Thank you, Recovery Unplugged. Um, And we would have clients make a little clay sculpture of whatever they want of them in their addiction and then them in their recovery. And the big twist on it was after they made both, we made them mass them together because both of these were components of... Who they are. are. Yeah. And the best one, my favorite one, not the best, was a client who made a skull and a rose, and he put the skull in the middle of the rose when they mashed them together. That's sick. Yeah. It was, it was, it looked super cool. But the way he explained it was, you know, I know that an addict is close to the core of who I am. It's a piece of me that's never going to change but I can control all the petals and all the things that I layer around it so that I'm not just a walking skull. And that's, I was like, that's pretty deep, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely relate to that because I am 100% still an addict who just has a daily reprieve. I, I get reminded of that quite often. Um, I was out in Nashville. We were out in Nashville. We were in Nashville together. We were in Nashville. Yeah. That was great. That, that was, was a lot of fun, fun. for the, uh, the, sober se- the second sober sessions out there in Nashville, which was – Fantastic. So much fun. They killed yeah. it out there. It was a great event. I am disappointed that you did not get on stage for live band karaoke. If you would have just came up to me and said, Jason, I'll hold the camera while you get up there, I would have done it. What would you have sang? Kiss by Prince. Oh. Just because that is the probably hardest thing that anybody could ever try to to replicate. The the high part in the in the in the end. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of karaoke person are you? Because there's there's two kinds. There's the person who wants to sing something that they sing really well to impress everybody. And there's the person who just wants to put on a good show. I am the latter. Yeah. I am definitely not. Um, I do not have a good singing voice, unfortunately. Um, I've always wanted one because I thought from when I was a, a young child, I thought that I was going to be a rock star. And then. Anytime I tried to sing, I was reminded, like, no, you don't have a great singing voice. So I am a showman. I am a showman, though. Um, Nine to Five by Dolly Parton is one of my favorite. Um, Tempted by Squeeze. Oh, I don't know that one. Tempted by the fruit Fruit of another. See, you hear that? 
Yeah. Did you hear my range on that? Yes. Yeah. That's 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 my. Uh, that was a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I was subtly reminded while in Nashville how quick it is for me to forget where I come from sometimes. So me and my girlfriend, we were looking for something to do at night, and just um, we looked through the local, you know, the local paper. And um, because I wanted to do it like that, I didn't want to just stay on my phone and keep on looking for stuff. I looked at the alternative press paper, just opened it up and said, I'm going to find something good yeah. here because um, I didn't know where to look, you know, online. So we saw Jazz Night and then we ended up going to Jazz Night and it turned out it was at um, Jack White's little speakeasy nice. club behind Third Man Records. And it was so great. It was so much fun. And... You know, everybody there was having like a cocktail and listening to some some smooth jazz. And I was just like, I could probably have like one glass of whiskey right now and just really enjoy it. But if you've been to Third Man Records out there in Nashville, you know that right across the street is a little bit of a dicey area. Yes, it's a little bit. And I just knew that had I had that one glass of whiskey, I would have told my significant other I'd be right back and I would have gone and gotten crack or heroin or both and well you know i think that's one of the challenges when you when you've been sober a real long time you know because you're a lot like me like when i got sober i had nothing right you know um there was nothing else to lose there was nothing but you know we stay sober a while we build up a life you know and you start to get further away from identifying as that person who was on the street with nothing right right and i remember around like I had like nine and a half years sober. And I remember I was with my wife at like uh, the wine store or whatever. Right. And I was like, you know, I think once I get 10 years, like I could have a glass of wine. And my wife looked at me and was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and she was, she goes, what would a glass of wine do for you? And I was like, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because yeah. I've never been interested in a drink. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, if, all the drinks. All the drinks. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if if I had a friend who like, and I was never, alcohol was never my thing. I was a full-blown drug addict. Yeah. Um, but if, if like say a friend came over and was like, oh, hey, whatever, you know, when I was still out there, even, even early on, brought like a six pack over, they would open theirs. I would open mine and then I would drink all five before they could even finish their first one. Yeah. Just because as soon as it hit my belly, I got that little warm, that little warm fuzzy feeling in my belly. And it was never like, I'm going to sit and enjoy this. It's like, I need to keep yeah. this going because I just want this feeling to keep on, to, to last for a very long time. And I, I figured that's the way to do it is just take as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But my drug of choice is more, right? Yeah. But the, the truth is, right, you know, I've never wanted a drink. Right, I want all the drinks. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm too drunk, then I know what will fix that. Right. So how how long in recovery do you have now? Fourteen years. A little over fourteen years. Yeah. And you've built a pretty a pretty nice life for yourself. I love my in life. those fourteen years. It's great. You are yeah. you are definitely a success story when it comes to uh, success story when it comes to recovery. Um, you have a great family, beautiful kids, beautiful wife, nice house. I'm sure you make a decent salary. Um, how long would it take you to 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 run it into the ground? You think if you if you went back out? 
Well, it would take a little longer because I have resources now. <laughs> you right, know, right? Uh, you know, credit cards to max out, cars to default on. Right, but you're assuming that that you keep it a secret from your wife and she doesn't decide to kick you out because if you know, they, these little things that you don't think of before you go back out. Suddenly, once they, <laughs> once drug addict Joseph appears, no, because you're I'm, not going to have a job no, anymore. No, I, I would get busted almost immediately, yeah. right? I'd get busted, and if I went, I, let's say a month, I could a maybe month, make yeah. it a month before. It was That's fair. All gone. Yeah, I, I'd say for me it'd be about two weeks. Yeah, I'd say two weeks before mm -hmm. I ran shit into the ground, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not somebody who hides what I'm using. Like, I don't sit still. I'm all twitchy and like I'm. I talk way too much. Well, but here's the thing, though, is like, you know, loss of, of physical material things never got me sober. I don't think really ever got anybody sober. You know? Right. So, like, it would take me about a month to run through the material things. Yeah. But to feel irritable, restless, discontent, to hate myself, to be completely miserable to my core, I would say that's instantaneous. Yeah. Because you have your kids... That, yeah. you, that were never part of the equation when you were using before. Yeah. Now you have this, and your kids are old enough to know what would be going on if there was just a sudden, complete Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Yeah. Hyde change with yeah. Joseph. Yeah. Like, your kids would just be heartbroken and not know what's going on. I'm sure your wife would not Ooh, be no, like, no. Let, let's let's work this out, Joseph. She doesn't strike me as the type that would no, be kind no, and loving. No, this, and, the spiritual bankruptcy would be almost immediate. Yeah. All right. So let's not... Let, let's get to bed before we use today, yeah. then. What do you say? Deal? Yeah, that's a good idea. All and right. speaking of spiritual bankruptcy, today's guest is an incredible man. Do you know who it is, Jason? I do. Yeah? Yeah. He. Um, we'll talk about it when, when we get started. But yeah, Kyle, Kyle and I have a history together that's... <clears throat> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it during the show. Are we going to cut and then bring Kyle in and then... Or should we should intro Kyle now? Just intro Kyle. Intro I want to intro now. Kyle with a story. Okay, intro Kyle with a story. So back in the day, we were starting Recovery Unplugged's outpatient facility here in Austin. It's called Recovery Unplugged Encore. And when you open a facility, you got to put together a lot of furniture. And there was a day where me and Kyle and a couple other guys spent the whole day building chairs and lamps. And it was the second half of the day and we were all getting a little grumpy. You know, just building the same Ikea thing over and over again. And I remember turning to everybody and being like, you guys, you know what we need right now? We need a tribe called Quest. And I look at Kyle and Kyle looks around and goes, God damn it. He's right. And we threw on some tribe called Quest. And everything changed. Check the rhyme. I, th I think that is what we started with. Back in the days in the Boulevard of Linden, we that one. You should have been a rapper. Oh, yeah. I got the, the mad freaky flow skills. Ooh, okay, well, let's bring on Kyle Swatlovsky. Swatlovsky? All right, so we'll cut now and then move back. <laughs> All right. Boom. How, how did you do that? Did you just like... Jason's magic. magic. Yeah. <laughs> he's gotten a lot better. Oh, um, I have. I got to tell you, when I first came in, Jay came in on like some 
directorness. Like, like coming in, he's like, the wood. What is this wood? Where are these chairs? What is this mic? And I was legitimately felt fear. <laughs> like, I started pacing around. I was like, I don't know. Who is this? And who, like, what have you done with Jay? Yeah. Like, where's my skater friend? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I do at Recovery Unplugged. I do a lot of uh, commercials and, and stuff like that. So I've... Something that I've learned in my recovery is that I've uh, I can be a director, and I've always wanted to do it. So I don't like when it comes out when it seeps out into other things in life. But this is production, so it's still it's still uh, you know it's still production. Oh, yeah, for sure. I always Jay would start recording videos like, and he would show me this stuff. This is like from when we first met, and this is like six seven years ago now. <clears throat> Probably like six and a half. Well. Six and a half years ago, because you met me my first day. Yeah. Um, we can talk about that. This yeah. Is, this is like, I don't want to talk too much about, like, you know, the experience of, like, because if you don't know, like, we all work together at Recovery Unplugged for some time. So, um, but no, we'll get into that. But yeah, so Kyle and I would, would skate. We'd go skating together. And I would always just, you know, and I had like a cheap little, probably free phone with the service oh, yeah. phone at those days. But I was always, you know, I always into skate videos, and that's kind of why I got into doing what I do today. But yeah, so I would take videos with you and Mike Demchek and Coyote and all of our our little skate crew out there. Early days. And you would be like, dude, that's pretty good. You should you should do something well, with no, this. Well, no, because he makes videos that look like skate videos. And like yeah. I grew up watching like Yeah Right and like Photosynthesis and all these like old school, like 90s, early 2000s skate videos. And whatever Jay produces, like he has that in his head. So like when he puts something together, it just has that feeling. I'm like, ooh. This is familiar. I like this. It's the biggest compliment I've ever had. We're slowly going to turn this into a skate podcast, or at least we'll have a spinoff, and it's going to be me and you, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I man, I remember because I skate psychology. Skate psychology. That's it. I had the pleasure of doing Jay's intake. Like I yeah. sat with him at the computer <clears throat> while he signed all of his ROIs and everything. And um, that that might be a HIPAA violation. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it. No, but Kyle, Kyle saw me day one. Yeah. Day one into into my so, treatment. Yeah. So let's let's take she a second wasn't. though. Let's take a step back and and introduce Kyle to our audience because they they know your name's Kyle Swatlovsky and yes. that you're here. Is that, the, pronu- is that the correct pronunciation? So the I A becomes like a soft E. So it's actually just like sweat, like you're perspiring. Swetlowski. Swetlowski. Yeah. It's been pronounced wrong my whole life. I'm sure. Yeah. So you know, in, in my phone, you're still just Kyle S because I wasn't even going to try to spell it. Yeah. But uh, so Kyle is a a man in recovery, yes, an addiction professional, uh, a devoted husband, uh, father of two, uh, skateboard and race car aficionado, and grass, and grass, grass. yes, lawn care, grass. big fan, big fan. Um, but you know, you didn't used to be all those things, no. Right, far from it, and and you have never really talked about this. You know what? What was your addiction like? Like, what was? How did you show up back then? So, I'll give you like the very abbreviated to the bottom story. Yeah. So, like, I grew up and just always wanted to be out of self. The first time I like smoked pot, it was like you know this is all I ever want to do. It was like an instantaneous love for getting out of body and mind. Not feeling how you feel. Exactly. Yeah. And and I didn't like, you know, I grew up pretty normal, like mega middle class, like both my parents have college degrees, like I never went without all that sort of stuff, whatever, whatever. But 
Um, no major trauma. No, I mean, my parents split up, but like, you know. How old were you? I was 14. So like I was fully aware of it as it was happening. So maybe that probably plays a bigger role than mm -hmm. I give it credit for, but whatever. Um, but yeah, like I always managed to maintain. So like one of my measures was like school. Yeah. So like my mom was a teacher. So like I always did good in school and I always managed to like get just good enough grades to like get to the next step. Like I made it into college and that was really where it got bad. Mm -hmm. was in college because like, you know, I found the fraternity that had the easiest access to drugs, every single drug that I wanted and was having a party every goddamn day of the week. I don't know if I can curse. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, um, but yeah. And, um, you know, I did ups. Like I just wanted to go out and party and I drank and I drank and I did blow and I did blow and tried to hook up with as many girls as I possibly could. Cause I was like, this is fulfilling me. Like this is yes. like what I'm supposed to be yes. doing as like a, you know, a partying 22 year old kid. Um, and then about halfway through school was when I discovered opiates. And I was working this, like, to help pay rent, I was working at Subway. And I had woken up from, like, a long night. Was this before or after it came out that Jared was a pedophile? This was, ah, that's a good question. I don't remember what year that was. I really don't. I, it might have been after, honestly. But, um, yeah, like, I woke up mega hungover, just, like, had been doing blow all night, had, like, nothing in me. And my roommate was already like well into the Roxycodone yeah, yeah. addiction. And he's like, dude, just take a little bump off this. Like, I guarantee you'll be able to go to work. And I did that. And I'll tell you what, like, I went into Subway that day. <laughs> Best day dude, ever. Dude, like slapping meat on sandwiches, like spreading like, the fucking mayonnaise. Sandwich artistry. Dude, like next level employee stuff. <clears throat> and then uh, that was it. Like that was, uh, that one time was like, all right, that's. That's what you're going to do forever and ever until you hit some sort of bottom. And that's really exactly what happened. I mean, I'll skip like the horrors of like, you know. But, you know, on, on that subject. So that's the thing that opiates, that's a lie that the opiates tell you, right? So the first couple times you take them, you feel like a million bucks. You've never felt this good in your life. You're hyper focused. If you're, do you have ADHD or anything like that? I've never been diagnosed. With okay, it, but so probably it's. In I have somewhere. ADHD, so it when when I would take an opiate, it was like hyper focus and like I was alert and ready to go. Yeah. And you think that 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 continues, but you got to realize the first time you did it, you probably took a little bump. And then towards the end of it, you were probably taking five or six at a time. Oh, if yeah. you're anything like me, mm -hmm. and your productivity goes down a little Dude, bit the more of those you take. It's way down, yeah. Well, You're, that's the, the the insidious lie of opioids, right? Is Because the thing is, like, they will make you feel amazing for d constantly diminishing lengths of time. Right. Right. Shorter you know, and shorter. Until towards the end, right, there there is no more euphoria. Right. It's just, I need this to be able to function as a human. And I'm not sure if this is lore or if this is fact that the name heroin comes from hero because that's what it made you feel like the first time you took it. I sounds plausible. Let's just what go the, with yes. Yeah, very believable. Yeah. If yeah. you told me that without the lore part, I would have said yep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I um So what was the time frame? I mean, how how quickly from the first time you took opiates did it take for you to crash and burn? So the crash and burn was a, a like not a like a, a figurative one. Like it was literal. So I, I had gone to treatment probably three times between then and like when I hit my actual bottom. And um, the way it looked was I had gotten out of detox. I had met some girl that like I fell in love with because I was like just in treatment and like wanting to escape still. Got out of treatment. My tolerance was low. 
mm-hmm. like kind of what we're getting into with the shorter and shorter um, time frame. And I went like straight back to the amount that I was doing before I went into that detox. And at this point, I probably have like 10 days yeah. clean sober. Yeah. And um, I went in, in, I grew up in New Jersey. I didn't touch on that, but I went into the area in New Jersey where I would cop. Is that Camden? It was, it's called Patterson. Mm-hmm. I grew up like 20 minutes outside of New York City. And like yeah. Jersey kind of has three pit stops. It's Patterson, Newark, Camden. Okay. So Patterson's the hood. Like to be very clear, like I mean, I, so's uh, Newark and oh, Camden. Oh, dude, though, right? just as bad. I mean, Camden was like the murder capital for a long time. But yeah, Jersey's rough. Like it's it's rough. Like, um, sorry, as I'm speaking this, it's all coming back to me. Do you remember Hurricane? Um, I think it was called Sandy that like slammed that New Jersey, flooded the subway. Dude, yeah, that's the one that went to Brooklyn. And yeah. yeah, yeah, I was homeless, sleeping in my car through that whole thing, right? So this is kind of like all in like the same month, right? So I, I you know, I go and I, I go to shoot up in, in one arm and I thought I missed. So I, I was like, fuck, I just wasted $30 or whatever it right. was. And I had like the same amount left over for what would have been probably two hours later. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just doing this now. So wait, was this heroin or was this still just, oxys? Just heroin, yeah. Just heroin. Uh, yeah, again, like I skipped so much of it, but like I graduated from oxys to heroin, gotcha. like just because it was cheaper in the yeah. beginning, you know, I did the whole opiate addiction thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just financially responsible. Of course, like, yes, yes. These little stamps are worth, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> so I shot up again in my other arm and like I, I knew I definitely didn't miss the second time. And I got, I like, I was, I, for some reason I thought it was a good idea to drive. And that was what really did it because I think I made it about a mile and at 2 p.m. on a like during a hurricane. This is after, okay, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, this is after, but it was but still flooded. It was no, it was like the debris was getting cleaned up, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so I shoot up, I start driving, I made it about a mile and at 2 p.m. in a school zone in like a super affluent neighborhood called Ridgewood, New Jersey. <laughs> I uh, I overdosed while driving. And I wrapped my cre- my my car around a tree. And if you saw pictures of the car, like you can still Google it. I like over the years of me being clean, I've tried to like bury it, like create new things that come up if yeah, you search yeah, my yeah. name. But it's still there. And if you look at pictures, it's like that person did not survive that because yeah. it, it like I hit the tree like with the passenger side, perfect airbag deploys the white like smoke from the airbag goes off. I think I'm dead. Powder, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, when like my first conscious thought was like, I'm, this is heaven or this is hell or wherever I am. You know yeah. what I mean? And then I kind of all came to, I got pulled out of the car by the EMTs. They, they laid me down on someone's front lawn and, uh, God, I'm just like, getting, it's like crazy to think about this. I haven't told this story in a long time. And, um, the EMTs told me, because I had, again, like I skipped a lot, but I'd been to a couple NA meetings and I had like discovered that there was a better way to live mm-hmm. my life. Okay. Yeah. Which is super important because the EMTs tell me that I cried like from the scene of the accident, saying the serenity prayer, like from the front lawn, through wow. the car ride to the hospital, all the way to like when I was handcuffed to the, the hospital bed. Yeah. Cause that's like not every, I feel like everybody says that, but like yeah. not a lot of people live that right. experience. It's <clears> like, <throat> it's something else. Like. I broke my femur in that car accident. I could easily be prescribed opiate medications for the rest of my life for that yeah. exact reason. Yeah. But knowing who I am and yeah. where that has taken me in the past, it's an easy choice for me to make today to not do it. Um, nobody came and saw me in the hospital. This is what I remember. This was like yeah. my bottom yeah. was, was I'm laying there in the hospital bed. 
like two or three days had gone by. I'd already gone through surgery. Um, and I remember looking at the window, like, I'm going to jump out of that window. Yeah. And the only thing that kept me from doing it was knowing that every like hour and a half to two hours, that button that I could press to say, hey, I need more fucking morphine. Yeah. I could press that button. And that was it. Like that, that was when I knew that I fucking lost. Yeah. Like addiction beat me like it was a wrap. And then my dad showed up the last day and <laughs> drove me straight to the Newark airport and onto a plane and into treatment down there's in Florida. A, there's a line in the big book, something, it says something along the lines of, of reaching a point of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And like, like that, I mean, I've heard a lot of stories, right? But like what you just said about, you know, I'll kill myself. But af after I push the button one more time, exactly. like yeah. that, if that isn't like the epitome of what an addict bottom looks like, yeah. I don't know what is. Yeah. Were you weaned off of the opiates in the hospital? No. No. Okay. No, yeah. no. So, I mean, that was keeping me well, as well as treating the legitimate pain that I had. <clears throat> right. Right. Yeah. Just keep you from being dope sick, which would have sent you... Probably you probably would have AMA'd even with a broken femur at that I point. I would have wheelchair because yeah, I was in yeah. like the hospital that I ended up in was in Patterson. Yeah, mm -hmm. and my oh, brain, so you knew I, I was going a mile a minute already. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Right out there, yeah. yeah. And so nobody came to visit you until they came to pick you up for treatment. Yeah, yeah. They have the hospital phone. I had a burner phone that didn't have any minutes left on it. Nobody called the hospital line, and then yeah, uh, I got brought down. I went to a place called the Recovery Institute of South Florida. It doesn't exist anymore. It was like a union place because my mom was a teacher. Yeah. It, was, it was under 26. I still had her insurance. Yeah. Like, again, like middle class, like all that sort of applies to me. Like, you know, if I was going to go to treatment, I at least had an opportunity to go to like a good one. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, they gave me Suboxone as a pain management for like the first two weeks that I was in that treatment center. Mm -hmm. And then they were just like, well, there's really, you can't be on this forever. So. Yeah, yeah. And that like, was we're sorry. It's not our fault you had surgery. Physical therapy <laughs> on the leg. Like, I mean, I literally would crutch from, it was like a mile and a half. And I, I didn't have a car. couldn't walk. I didn't really know anybody for a ride yet. It was Where like, in Florida was this? This was in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, it was in Fort yeah, Lauderdale. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Broward I would, County. yeah, I would crutch a mile and a half to this physical therapy place and like in excruciating pain, you know, like, but again, like I already knew, like I, I knew like there was no chance of success. No chance of success in, in so, successful using. But that was not where you got sober at. Nope. No, if I can get into that part of the story. It was like a short little relapse where I had gotten the big boy job and I was working for this like insurance consulting company doing sales for like big integrations of, you You know this lingo, but like insurance companies use code called ICD-9 mm -hmm. and ICD-10 is the one that everyone was transitioning to. And it was like right in that time. So I was working for this company, you know, I, I had a pretty good salary. I think like, at the time I was like, wow, I'm killing it. I'm making like $45,000. Yeah, like okay. just like I made it, you know, like I'm good. And uh, I mean, it, realistically for living in a sober living, that actually was very <laughs> livable. <laughs> that, that, yeah. <laughs> very livable. But um, yeah, I, they like had this, their headquarters was in Denver. Mm -hmm. And I had been in the sober living for like just shy of a year. And that was when they started like flying me out back and forth. Um, just to like do like team meetings yeah. and meet the team, yeah. whatever. And I uh, and that feels real cool. Oh yeah, I felt like yeah. a boss, dude. Yeah. I was like, dude, people are paying for my plane ticket just so I can go talk to people. Like, what? How much is my per diem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I got out there the second time, and it was like that thought. Um, 
of like, I could probably get away with this. You know what I mean? Like that little tiny little insect of a thought that creeped in there. Yeah. Well, like we were talking about before the show, right? With the, I could, I could drink a glass of whiskey, I think was what Jason was saying. But yes. we all, so you yeah. got that. So I had a drink, uh, a couple of drinks at a bar in Denver. You know, I'm like, wow, I must be cured. Because I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, shoot heroin. I don't like where, I don't not like, I'm not like, where is the cocaine? Like it used to be like, I would take the first sip of alcohol and be like, I need cocaine immediately. (laughs) Like I'm ready for that. Right. And, um, I, uh, that didn't happen, but I will tell you what did happen, which was like a very clear cut answer to really what I should have realized before this even happened was I got back to my hotel room. It's like one in the morning. And I found a gas station that I could walk to from the hotel. And I went and I bought like two like of the big can, like the high alcohol percentage. Like Mickey's. Yes, dude. Like cheap. Not and, like a four loco. No, it wasn't nothing fancy. Like it was like what I what I would have <laughs> drank. Like it's like going to get like an old English yeah, back in yeah, the day. Right. Like what I like was used to. Cause that's like how quickly your brain snaps back to, you know, your old tendencies is insane. Um but yeah, I remember sitting in my hotel room until like three in the morning drinking those beers. I'm like, dude, I fucked up. I like, I really fucked up. Because like, I, I'm already, I have to go back to the sober living. They're going to drug test me. They're going to give me, you know, all the things. Like, it was just spinning. I have to look people in the eyes. And, and lie to them. About everything. And the worst part about it is I did just that. Yeah. Like, I, it, like I said, it was just shy of when I got a year. And I was like, I'm going to let everybody down if if i you know not even thinking of what it's doing to me it yeah. was more like i'm gonna let my mom and my dad down and all my friends that i made Wait, so did you pick up a dirty one-year chip i did hey i picked up everything up to six months dirty one time really so don't feel so bad oh god it was brutal i, I remember like my dad came was like standing at a pedestal in some AA clubhouse, like started crying. It, it was like heavy, man. Oh, that, so that heavy. did not feel good. No, 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 it didn't. So how long did that go on for? Four months. Like right after I got that one year trip, I pretty much moved out of that sober living. Um, I moved in with a kid that I loved to death, but probably wasn't the right person to move into with only a year clean. And we started getting like real high. Well, you didn't together in fact have a year clean no yeah, no 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 yeah, well, let's, let's... still lying about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's exactly my point so yeah we we started getting like real high together and then um my real friends like you know most of them yeah showed up at my door one day and uh busted it down basically and had like a a friend intervention like yeah. no family involved a friend intervention a friend intervention yes yes and um a lot of people, I don't know if any of them have been on here. Has Dave been on the show? No, not yet. He, um, they just showed up and were like, dude, like, we love you. Like, we love the clean version of you when you're like just yourself. And like, we're skateboarding at two o'clock in front of the sober living and going to the NA conventions all up and down Florida's coast. Just getting wild on energy drinks. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, all of that. And vaping like, like crazy. Yeah. Playing video games and, and just like all of the things that you do, or at least that I did that made me want to be clean and it was like it's sad to think that this addiction right like can overshadow that to the point where you start valuing it over like the real world real life like meaningful things that are happening well i mean that's you know if you ever seen the documentary pleasure unwoven which it's 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 a rehab classic they show it all the time but it talks about how 
when you're getting high, right, your brain's reward system literally gets rewired to where all those things that feel good, right, you know, eating, sleeping, having a house, having friends, socializing, you know, uh, falling in love, mm -hmm. none of those feel as good as getting high. So like in your brain's reward system, it, it becomes prioritized over everything else. Right. Yeah. And it happens so fast. Absolutely. Because yeah. you've already you've already built that system in your brain. Yeah. So it's it's not you don't have to rebuild it. You just have to flick the switch to turn it back on and you're right back there. Yeah. Yeah. So they took you to Harmony Recovery Center? No, they took me to a place called uh Recovery Unplugged, actually. <laughs> I thought you, you got sober before <laughs> it was Recovery Unplugged. No, no, Recovery Unplugged. And then God, if the full truth is I relapsed after I went through Recovery Unplugged. It only lasted like a month, but my same friend Dave that I just mentioned, yeah. I was living in a room for rent off Craigslist with like a literal crack dealer. Yeah. So I was just smoking crack. Like yeah. I feel like me and Jay, like me and Jay, me and Jay, that was like when when I met Jay, like <laughs> I could talk about crack use with Jay because of this month. Yeah. And yeah. um <laughs> Yeah. I like had just taken a hit and I hear a knock on the door. And um it's my buddy Dave. And I like peeked, they did the crack peek through the blinds, and he's like, dude, I fucking see you. <laughs> and he's like, come on, dude. We're going for a walk around the block. We're going for a walk around the block. And, and I do not want to take a walk around the block. I want to be in my room with the door locked. And um, I made it to the end of the driveway. And I was like, all right, dude, I need help. And that was, I went to Fort Lauderdale Hospital because I was I was over 26. My No uh, more insurance. No more insurance. Real world experience of what it's like. You know what I'm saying? Like I had shit to my name, you know. And uh, God, you know. God willing, in uh, January, I'll have eight years sober. So. Ooh. Yeah. Fort Lauderdale Hospital for me here, too. Yeah. yeah. I had a one of my proudest things that I've done in my recovery through NA. I got I go to Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I had an H&I commitment for a good two and a half years before, like, leading up to when I came out here um, to move to Austin. And I, it was, like, my pride and joy, dude. Like, I... Back in, you were doing your H&I at Fort Lauderdale Hospital? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. like I went through there. I got sober. And, and so for that. those who don't know, H&I is hospitals and institutions, and it's where you will bring in a 12-step recovery meeting into a place where people can't get out to go to a meeting. So hospitals, institutions, jails. jails. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and when I went in there and I saw that the Fort Lauderdale one was available, I was like, I want that commitment because I went there and got clean there. Yeah. So I took so much pride in the people that I would bring in. Like I wanted to bring in like just fire speakers, like like just like cut through the bullshit and like get to recovery stuff. So the people there would like, you know, yeah. want to recover. So let me ask you, I'm always <clears throat> super curious, like with with NA folks, right? Because I am I am AA folk, right? When you went through the steps, did you do, how did you go through them? Was it like a the one step a month kind of deal? Did you go through them quickly? Like It took me five years. Five years to go through the steps. Yeah, long time. Yeah, it took me about four and a half. Yeah. I've actually, just full disclosure, because everybody's recovery looks different. Um, at the current moment, I have a sponsor through AA. That's just because right. I wanted the experience of doing them. Greg, um, Greg R., right? No. no. Um, I don't, we can shout him. His first name is Jesse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jesse yeah. M. Yes. Jesse yeah, M. Yeah, yeah. He's a good that's guy. right. Yeah, yeah. But the experience was, I had a couple of them. Like, they have the step working guide. Pretty much everybody touches on that at some point. But when I actually did them, he wasn't using that. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. 
do you, in your recovery, do you see like a moment in your early recovery where like, obviously like there's not a day that like you're fixed, right? But was there a moment when you first thought to yourself like, like, oh shit, like I think, I think I'm really doing this. Right, yeah. Like there was, I, um, I was kind of blessed in that I had made all those connections before. So like I had all of my friends that were like making things of their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like accomplishing things and like, you know, at the time, like they were renting apartments. Now they like buy houses and like yeah. it just progressively yeah. gets better and better. Yeah. Right? And um, it was easy to find hope in, I think I had like probably in between 90 and six months, 90 mm-hmm. days and six months. And just being able to put myself in environments where I had these people that were obviously at the time more established in their recovery and watching them build all these beautiful things gave me the hope that like, hey, like you did this once and you did a really good job. Like you, 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 you reforged connections with your family. You had a good job, like all this and that. And that was probably it was seeing others around me succeeding. Yeah. And I needed to see that. So for me, it was really easy because, <clears throat> well, it was really easy for me to believe in somebody else's recovery because I had friends from the street who had gotten clean people that you know um psycho kirk mm-hmm. psycho kirk i've known him <laughs> since. psycho kirk no psycho <laughs> kirk is a this dude was a fucking knuckle dragon thug and <clears throat> i've known him since i was probably like 12 13 years old and he got clean i think like four or five years before i did or four or five years before i was like hey man i know that you're doing this recovery thing do you think you could uh maybe help me out and then he took me to my first ever meeting and my friend Graham was there. My friend Sophia was there. All people who I knew from the street, all like no bullshit people who were like doing this thing. And I was like, man, okay. So if these people are doing it, like I trust these people, like I would trust these people with my lives. Yes. And to see them like leading really good, successful, respectful lives was they like, like look nice smell good like yeah. have car keys exactly <laughs> like, all yeah. that yeah. yeah so that 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 that's so important when you see people who you like and respect doing it even if it's like uh, the other thing was like when I, when i first started going to to meetings and first started going into rehab there was always people who i would be in there with and then 2 years later when i'm still doing in and out i see them now they're chairing meetings. Now they're bringing in the H&I oh, yeah. meetings to where I'm at. And, you know, two years earlier, we were sitting in there together. And now they're like, oh, okay. So all they're doing is not using, which is the most important thing, and then doing some other stuff. <laughs> and then it seems to be working out for them. So I, <laughs> I I did not have a working knowledge of it, but I did see it work in other people to where I was like, okay, so there's something to it. There's um, a way out. Once there's I'm ready. Once I'm ready, it's there and available for me. So, I mean, took me seven years from my first go-round at it, but, yeah. You so, know. Kyle, I want to fast forward a little bit. Yeah, sure. Because I feel like there's a cool part of your story where something that could have been tragic turns into, like, a whole lot more. Okay. Um, so, when I first met you, Talk you were working it. for Recovery Unplugged. Yeah. Right? And uh, living in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And... You made some mistakes at work. Oh, yeah. Which could have led to your uh, dismissal from employment. You want me to tell, can I tell that story? I mean, this yeah. is a recovery plug podcast. Let's, 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 let's just do it. Do it. Do so, it. Why were you almost fired? You're talking about when I was suspended. 
And then transferred. And then transferred. Okay. <laughs> so so why don't we take a moment here to talk about some of the amenities at Recovery Unplugged? Oh, the amenities are, well, there's, there's indoor plumbing that functions. <laughs> your bed is your bed and no one else will be sleeping in it when you are not. Right, let's try to sell this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, <laughs> I mean, that's depending on where you're coming from. Like being indoors and having a bed, it's pretty nice. Recovery unplugged. We're indoors. <laughs> um, and recovery unplugged, uh, queen queen size beds. Recovery unplugged. We have facilities in Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas. <laughs> in Austin, Texas. Recovery unplugged is a nationwide addiction treatment organization which provides all levels of care in Texas, Virginia, Florida and Tennessee. We are in network with most major insurance companies and provide affordable access to high quality care. Would you say that Recovery Unplugged can uh, save people's lives, help them with their struggles? Or wait a second, I can because I was a client at Recovery Unplugged and look at me now. You have a life and you have few struggles. Mm, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Oh, even better. With struggles. That's Recovery Unplugged. <laughs> Beep, boop. Long story short was we got into a huge argument, yelling, blowout. Um, he said, get the fuck out and like go think about like what you're doing. And it was like my dad was yelling at me or something. <laughs> <laughs> was how it felt. So I went home and I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was like fuming. Um and, you know, I called all of my, obviously I was in recovery for some time at this point. So I, I knew the right things to do when right. I was feeling this way is certainly not get high. Um, and about a week into what was supposed to be a two week suspension. Leave, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had brought on someone who was essentially going to manage the call center. Be your boss. Yes. And... We got called into the office. First, what happened was, was me and Rob got called into uh, Paul's office. He was another owner at the time. And we, he was like, apologize to each other. And we both did. And that was, <laughs> that was pretty cool. You I, don't I, hug? And, mm, mm, it's Rob. Yeah, we didn't hug. No. Yeah. We might have we shook hands. Um, but then the second thing that happened was is I sat with this girl named Rachel. And because when she got brought in, I already had like an inkling that they were going to try to do something. And I'm like, I have all this tenure. Like, how could you do this sort of a, you know, stand on my, you know. And um, I didn't let my ego get the better of me that time because I was like, you know, I have these, at, at this point, the opportunity to move to Austin and help open the PHP had been brought up to me, which I'm super into. Like, I do love Recovery Unplugged. Well, to I this think day. you were kind of told, like, moving to Austin is your only option. Oh, yeah, if for you sure. Work oh, no, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. And But again, like, I, I I was emotionally connected to Recovery Unplugged because I that's that was all I knew. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I loved working there. And that was probably why I got so freaking crazy about, yeah. you know. But, yeah, it turned into I'm going to help her learn everything that I know and I'm going to do it willingly. And like we did, like we actually like super clicked up and, and um, worked really well together for like the last two weeks before yeah. I moved to Austin. But yeah, that's the story was I tried to yell at Rob and lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Badly. But so so here, here's why I brought it up though. Right. Cause like, you know, you're at a company, you love your job, you've been working there for a while and some stuff happens where, you know, Basically, you get told like you can you know, either you're out of here or you're moving to Austin, mm -hmm. which, you know, I think a lot of people would have said like, well, I'm not moving to a different state. 
you yeah. know, to stay working halfway here. across the country. Um, yeah. You know, and you took a big risk and you took a big leap. Yeah. You know, and I'm assuming you like talked to your sponsor and did some work around it and oh, decided yeah. like I'm gonna go try to do this. And in Austin is where you met who the person who is now your lovely wife. Yeah. So I went to my first NA meeting in Austin. It was like within like two weeks of me being there, like because I like had to like move in and yeah. like, I was just tired or whatever. And it's a meeting called Courage to Change. It's on Thursday nights. And I went with um, my buddy, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, and we showed up and we were just like, I think we were like, I was like smoking cigarettes at the time. We were like smoking a cigarette in the parking lot. And this girl got out of the car and I like just socked Jeremy in the arm. I was like, who the fuck is that? And he goes, oh, that's Sam. You should 100% stay away from her. <laughs> she has, she, you know, she has a lot. Of stuff going on, which is very, very true. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, she's lived an incredible story, way cooler story than the one that I just told about my, but um, yeah, I, I knew pretty much immediately. And and I'm, you know, tried to play coy and like we like became Facebook friends and whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then to this day, she like we added each other on Facebook, and I give her shit about this all the time. And she hates it, but um, she'll probably hate that I'm saying it on a recorded podcast too. But she messaged me on Facebook Messenger and just was like, hey. And I was like, you made the first move. Like forever. Yeah. <laughs> like that is it. And But then I screwed myself because I said that I love you first. Oh, so, she's, yeah. so she's got the trump card. Yeah. She really does. But so – I Same wanna... with my, with my relationship. She <laughs> made the first move, but I I I said I love you first. Yeah, so. yeah, that's the thing. She she got she loves telling that story too. <laughs> but the <laughs> the reason the reason I brought it up because like for me like I've seen the most because I've known you now what five years mm -hmm. maybe six yeah like the most growth I've seen in you in recovery has been seeing you grow in your relationship. Mm. You know, like you've called me before and been like, hey, like we're going through this. Like, I don't, you know, how do I do this? How do I do um, And then you as a dad. Yeah. And I specifically remember one conversation we had at the old Encore building where you were just about to move in with Sam and like kind of become her her child, your non-biological daughter's yeah. kind of be her dad. Yeah. Leah. And you were like, how do I know if I'm going to be a good dad? Like, how do you do that? Like, whatever, whatever. And I was like, Kyle. Just the fact that you're worried about being a good dad means that you're going to be a good dad. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I know. I I have a lot of those conversations with you, and then with John O, who's another very close friend, and I'm eternally grateful for those yeah. conversations. And I, yeah, I was petrified. Yeah. I really was. Like I I didn't because. Like I can be responsible for my own life, like especially now, like I'm sober, like yeah. I'm in control of what I'm doing. But like to have the added responsibility of a dependent, yeah, you know, in in Leah was like a huge leap, and you and know, she's a spark plug. Leah is, oh boy, <laughs> how old is she? So she's in third grade, and she is eight, and she is freaking awesome. But so <laughs> talk talk some about like you know what are the, some of the things that you've learned like about yourself and about recovery since taking on those new roles? So um, probably the biggest thing is an escape of self. Like like I, I would do anything for Leah or Genevieve, my other daughter, um, to see them smile. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so 
amazing to be able to see the joy that like little things bring to a little kid. And like, you know what I'm talking about. Cause it'll be something that's like so inconsequential in like the grand scheme of life, but to a kid like seeing it for the first time, being there and being able to like, not guide them through that experience, but experience it with them yeah. is like the most incredible part to me of like being a parent. Like I'll give you an example. When we, this past summer, I think I was originally supposed to come onto this podcast, but I was on vacation in San Francisco. Yeah. Like and like selfish. selfish. Oh, I know. I know. Okay. Sam's, Priorities, Kyle. Sam's brother got married in the, in the Redwoods, which was a whole oh. incredible experience in and of itself. But what I'm getting at is like, we got to go for like hikes through the Redwoods and like, you know, take our shoes off and like wade through rivers, like cutting through these beautiful forests. No cell phone service. No cell phone service, dude. Zero. And, to be able to like be there. It's like really that's what parenting is, is just being there to me at least. Yeah. And yeah. and and like experiencing that with Leah is like I, that's that's better than any drug, any 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 substance, whatever make you feel is is the fulfillment of like being able to be there for their first time for things in life is like so cool. So let's Let's go back to when you were sitting there in the hospital, right? Okay. When, like you're on, you're only, you're oh, only. We're back there. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> well, briefly, I think I know where you're going with this. So, if you knew at that point, right, when when you, the only joy in your life was getting that morphine drip every 15, 20 minutes, <laughs> yeah, and then you could see where your life would be right now, yeah. do you have, did you do you think that anything like that would have been possible at that moment in time? No, not even. I mean, what's my life looks like today is something that was so unfathomable back then that it, I mean, no, there's just no way that I would have ever thought that I have the life that I've kind of built and maintained today, for sure. Like, you might as well have said, like, Kyle, if you get sober, you're going to live on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Agree. Like, that, that's how unfathomable even living without using drugs was to me. Like, if somebody would have told me, like, you will one day wake up and you will go through an entire day and maybe not even think about using drugs. Yeah. Cool. I would not have believed no, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then the other cool thing, too, is, is um, just being able to do what I do. Like, yeah. I mean, I kind of touched on the fact that I, you know, I worked at Recovery Unplugged and I have a major love of doing the admissions role for, like, treatment centers. Because, like, somebody answered the call and I called them and then, like, every time, like, to this day, and I've been doing this a long time now, like, every every time somebody, like, successfully commits or admits or even has, like, some sort of monumental shift in the way that they're thinking around maybe I'll get sober, is like a win. Yeah. It feels like a win. Like, it feels the same, like, amount of, like, triumph that I feel for that individual is, like, hasn't changed at all in the eight years that I've been working in treatment. And that's super cool too. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So I got bust from from detox into treatment. Kyle was the first person that I saw there, and you know I'm still coming off of twenty years of whatever I'm coming off of. And I just remember Kyle sitting down with me, and we're talking, and he had like a Thrasher hat. He wasn't wearing it, but it was like on his shelf. And of course, I'm like, you know, cool guy. I'm like, even skate bro. So <laughs> you know what I mean? But then, but, but then, no, but honestly, like, we started talking about it. And then 
it was like one of my first experiences at Recovery Unplugged, yeah. you know, which ultimately, um, where I found recovery, yeah. the, the same recovery that I have today. And, you know, it means a lot to me through through all these years to be able to, you know, see how you've grown yeah. and to, to know that you helped me on the first day that I, like, accepted that help. That's yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. I know. I love if it. anybody... So let's go back to that moment in time. Let's do it. And if somebody would have told you, you're going to be on this guy's podcast one day, talking about recovery unplugged stuff. The pinnacle stuff. of Kyle's recovery. To far. be honest, I, I, I would have believed that. Yeah. Yeah, just because, I mean... A lot of that is like, because I like, you know, I would talk to him. I talked to Jay a lot. Yeah, like we when would. He was in treatment. So I, I, I got, I get close with like the specifically, usually like the dudes that skate. Yeah. Or like we like similar music or whatever. So, or the techs who also did some audio stuff sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was That's me. It. That's it. So, no, but like, yeah, I, I knew it his strengths were in terms of like his creativity. So I, I, this isn't too far of a stretch. I love like, just to touch on this, like (laughs) I, since it started, I've been texting both of you being trying to gas you up because like, it's such a good idea. And like, I love like the people that come on and like just the, the flow of it and how natural it is. And like the reality of just having like a real legitimate conversation about recovery is super cool. Like there's not enough of it. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we like it. Yeah, we like. Yeah. We talk about how like if 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 neither one of us worked at Recovery Unplugged anymore, like I, I would fight somebody for for the name toxicology. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to say it's it's it is it's really. It's, I have a feeling it, it wouldn't be too hard of a fight. They'd just be like, all right, go ahead, take like, it. Whatever. <laughs> Sign this piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, but no, man. Uh, I appreciate you being on here. You know, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. I know we we don't when I when I first found out that I was going to move to Austin. I was like, me and Kyle are going to hang out every single day. <laughs> We're going to be best friends. And it has not happened. Mm. Have we even gone skating yet since I moved here? I don't think. It's out of, in, outside so, of. The, just to circle back to, my life is so full with, with because I have two kids now. Yeah. And one of them, you know, I wake up at 6.30 and bring her to school. And then I go straight to work. And then I come home and like Genevieve has been with sam all day and sam's just like you know please take this job. mom limit yeah. right and like that's totally justified <laughs> so like it's like i'm going and then my like when i go to bed at 7 30 i have like the until probably around 12 when i go to bed to like go and like just play a video game and fucking bed. oh i gotta talk about this. so Dude. and you know like as a parent you're like i really i really should just go to bed because no. i know i gotta get up at 6 30 in the morning but I need just just a little bit of time yeah. <laughs> without somebody yes. asking me for something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we could do an uh, impromptu rapid fire question time. Yeah. No. Yeah. We cannot have Kyle on without doing rapid fire question time. So ready. It's rapid fire question time. <laughs> all right, I'll start. And take turns, yeah. Yeah. All right. How many days clean do you have? I have no clue. Take a guess. You got to. In the thousands? I, I have an app on my phone I can check. No, no cheating. Give, give give us a, a number. We'll check later. 10,000? 10,000, all right. 10,000, all right. Um, who is the single individual that has had the greatest impact on your recovery? Uh, my first sponsor. There's a guy in New Jersey. What was his name? 
John. 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 All right. Well, when was the last time you landed a kickflip? Uh, last week. Okay. Yeah, I, I've been skating with the kids like around the block. Jenna's has like the the, the bike that you just balance bike. Yeah. So I've been pushing around with her. It's called a Strider. Strider. Go yeah. to a San Marcos skate park, man. I go there all the time. Meet me out there. I drive by it all the time because I go to the San Marcos park with the kids. Mm -hmm. All right, Ben and Jerry's wants to make a Kyle Swatlowski signature flavor of ice cream. Orange What's and in cream it? swirl. <sighs> Did Orange, you think about that, that at that time? No, growing up in uh, the Jersey Shore, they have the Coles is a brand, and they have like cream and orange swirled ice cream, and it is my favorite ice cream of all time forever. Easy. All right. That was an easy question for me. All right. Ready for the last one? Yes. What's the secret? The secret? Take yourself out of yourself and take a really hard look at yourself. <laughs> no, what, what, you, what life you stand to lose if if you actually do decide to get sober, because I promise you it looks a lot better than continuing to use. Yeah, and, and just saying, like, somebody who's out there at their very bottom, right, who doesn't see a way out, just like you in the hospital bed, or you when you were sitting outside the car saying the serenity prayer, like, who to thunk? Yeah, you're not, you're not leaving behind something that's so wonderful. Give yourself a chance. Yes. Is, uh, is there anything you want to you wanna plug before we wrap it up here? Yeah, I mean, we're... South Meadows Recovery is where I am currently employed, and it was shout out John Brown, sh big shout out John Brown. Love John Brown. So we met real quick. I'll just do this, and then yeah. But we met at Recovery Unplugged. We worked together. He was like my contact in Texas when I was still in Florida, and then when I came out here, we really started working close together, looking at censuses and numbers and whatever. But he and I match up well because like I'm. I'm okay at like talking to people. I'd like to think that I'm pretty good at it, and especially doing admissions calls. And John has the kind of brain where like he likes to be behind a computer screen, looking at like Excel sheets and yeah. Google AdWords, and, and like I want to figure this out. So like when you kind of combine both of those things, it, it leads to a happy little marriage. But South Meadows Recovery is specifically an extended care facility that offers sober living and outpatient services, partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient, and outpatient. And it was born out of the idea that in Austin, really, if you look across the board, there's a lot of like big players, right, that have like every single level of care plus sober living. And then there's like really not that much else. So for the individual that needs something when they complete whatever treatment that they're completing, or if they just want to try to start it outpatient, South Meadows is like a small, community-driven place that... Boutique. Oh, you could call it boutique. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of times I catch myself calling it mom and pop, which really yeah. isn't true. But Sounds like going from Recovery Unplugged to South Meadows might be the winning combination. <laughs> Just saying. No, but uh, <laughs> it has... It, it literally has everything that somebody in early recovery could possibly need or want, including community, which to me is the most important part of mm -hmm. everything that we're doing because if I didn't live in the sober living that I was at with the people and the community that I had, I wouldn't be doing a podcast about recovery today, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, open-minded, you can find, you know, we're not like, here's a big book, figure it out. Like there is for sure multiple pathways to getting well. Um, and that's hmm. something that's very yeah. important, I think, from my own experience. And a lot of that comes from, Working at Recovery Unplugged. Yeah. So. How, how, how many pathways do you think there are? Mm -hmm. Probably like five or six. Mm. I don't know, Joseph. <laughs> how many would you say there are? I mean, I think there's about a, a thousand ways in. And at least 
a thousand ways out? We hope you find yours. There it is. <laughs>